Well, good morning. And first, let me just thank Jim for the introduction and also to the uh, Ripon Society and the Franklin Center for hosting. Uh, it's a great turnout, and uh, the timing could not be better, actually, for the subject matter, given the uh, opportunity, as we'll hear from our panelists, uh, that uh, we get a chance to hear from this morning, special guests, uh, to actually move USMCA forward, as Mexico has already done. Um, but it's my honor to introduce our special guests today as well. Um, and they'll each give an opening statement. We'll have a couple of questions and obviously open it up to the audience uh, uh, soon. But let us start first with uh, Ambassador Marta Barcina Coqui. She became the first woman to serve as ambassador to Mexico to the United States just this past January. She joined the Mexican Foreign Service back in 1979 and has held posts at the Consul in Barcelona, Spain. Ambassador to Denmark with non-residency accreditation to Norway and Iceland, as well as ambassador to Turkey with non-residency accreditation to Georgia, Azerbaijan, Kazakhstan, and Turkmenistan. She additionally served as permanent representative of Mexico to the United Nations agencies based in Rome from 2017 to 2018. It is my pleasure to turn the floor over to you, Ambassador, to uh, give a few opening remarks. Thank you. Thank you very much, Eric. I'm really thrilled to be here this morning. And I will try to be uh, to synthesize all the effort that Mexico has been doing to get USMCA ratified. First is, um, the first thing that you need to know is that to go ahead with USMCA and ratify it is what we call in Mexico una decisión de estado, a state decision. Why? Because as you know, USMCA was negotiated by the previous government of President Peña Nieto, and only in the last part of the negotiations, President López Obrador was elected, and a team of observers of President López Obrador participated in the negotiations. That meant that the previous government and the current one are totally committed to USMCA ratification. And that is why President López Obrador sent the agreement to the Senate and was ratified almost unanimously. In Mexico, only the Senate needs to ratify USMCA, not the Chamber of Deputies or the, or the equivalent of the House of Representatives. And the participation of the team of observers of President López Obrador was key in two areas in the closing of the negotiations. The area of energy, uh, which is very important, because it's part of uh, the biggest chunk of the trade that Mexico and the US are having now. You know, Mexico imports gas, and we have been exchanging a lot of oil and exporting also oil to, to the US. And uh, also, the labor chapter of USMCA. That labor chapter had not been negotiated before the election of President López Obrador because the previous government was not convinced of the labor chapter, because they, the previous political party in power was very much linked to the traditional unions of Mexico that were opposed to this labor chapter. So when President López Obrador came to power, he said, okay, let's go ahead with the labor chapter, because what the labor chapter of USMCA, its uh, content, it really matches the promises that I've been doing in my campaign for the labor unions, which is free and democratic labor unions. And I will not base the competitiveness of Mexico anymore in low wages, but in productivity. So it was President López Obrador himself who gave the green light for the labor chapter. 
So that is a key element to understand the commitment of the government of President López Obrador to implement the labor reform. When he got into power, then one of his priorities was to approve a labor reform that is really revolutionary, and it's 180 degrees change of what was previous the labor law in Mexico. Many of you have companies in Mexico, and so you know that this change is really very big, and you, you are absolutely aware that it will take a lot of effort of the private sector to interact with the unions in a very different way that you were used to, and that also President López Obrador announced a raise of the minimum wage of 16% and 100% at the border. And many of you with factories at the border, you know that that was also a huge challenge, but we have managed to do that. So uh, what I'm emphasizing all of this, because we listen once and again in Congress, is it, how committed is the government of Mexico to implement the labor reform? And I have to answer, 120%. You don't need to have any doubts. So we have a labor reform, which are really uh, incredible laws. It's, it's very revolutionary laws. But of course, a labor reform of this magnitude cannot be implemented in one year. So it will take about three to four years to implement all this labor reform, because among other things, we will have to review 700,000 collective bargaining agreements. And that, for that, we will need a technical cooperation of uh, institutions like ILO. And also, we are talking with the Department of Labor of the US. Uh, I know that there are a lot of questions now about if Mexico is allocating the right budget to the labor reform. The clear and simple answer is yes. We are allocating that budget. Of course, I don't have all the numbers in my mind. And uh, my two ministers, the Minister of Labor and the Minister of Finance, most probably will come to Washington in a couple of weeks. And they can give a very detailed explanation of the numbers and the money that is allocated to each step of the labor reform. But what I can tell you is that it's a very, it's a misreading, these comments that are going around that we are not going to implement the labor reform because we cut the budget of the labor ministry on 30%. And I will explain you why it's, it's, a, it's a total misunderstanding. Is it true that we cut the, uh, the budget of the labor ministry 30%? Yes, it is true. But the, la the, the budget of the labor ministry in 2018 was around $200 million a year. On 2019, when President Lopez Obrador came into power, the budget of the labor ministry became al almost 2,000 billion US dollars. So a 10 times increase. Why? Because one of the flagship programs of President López Obrador is something called Youth Building the Future, which is a social program that gives grants to young people that go into apprenticeships in different companies. So the increase on the budget of the labor ministry was for this program. And so the cut for 2020 budget is basically on this program, but the, the money allocated, the resources allocated for the labor reform are increased in the budget. So is it true that Mexico cut the budget? Yes, it is true. 
Is it true that it cut the resources allocated to labor reform? No, it is not true. We increase them. And on the other hand, part of the labor reform implies the participation of the judicial power of Mexico, establishing federal labor courts and state labor courts that will depend from the judicial power and not anymore from the executive power. And we have an increase in the budget this year of almost 5% for the judicial power that will be basically this, uh, allocated to the implementation of the labor reform. So we have done in Mexico two basic things to get USMCA ratified and really then to ask you to do it in the US. First, we have ratified USMCA in the Senate. We are ready to go ahead. Second, we have undertaken the most ambitious labor reform in the last 70 years in Mexico. We are allocating the resources for the next year. We don't have multi-annual budgets. We have annual budgets just as you do. But believe me, you will never find a president so committed to a labor reform than the president of Mexico. And then we need to get this USMCA ratified for basically one word, stability. Or two words, stability and certainty. We need a stability and certainty for the economic development of Mexico, of the US, and also to give the legal framework that the business need for long-term investments. There are a lot of decisions that are on hold because people do not know what is going to happen and because companies do not know what is going to happen. So I think that is the message that we, I will ask all of you to convey to Congress and this. We need a prompt ratification of USMCA so that we can plan for the future. We have almost lost one year and I think we need to go ahead as fast as we can. And I will close my comments here and I will be open for any questions that you deem appropriate. Thank you very much. Thank you. Ambassador, thank you for your perspective, uh, particularly around the commitment that Mexico has to the labor provisions in the new USMCA. Our next speaker we'll hear from is, uh, needs no introduction for those of you here at RIPON, Congressman Kevin Brady from the 8th District in Texas, has long been a strong advocate for free enterprise and great, the greatest economic freedom that we possess being trade. And he not only served as the White House point man on the successful passage of the Central American Free Trade Agreement and has been a leading voice now for the passage of the USMCA, and many of you may not know this, he has also been involved in 12 of the 14 free trade agreements that we now have in the United States. So additionally now, he is, uh, is the position chairman of the Ways and Means Committee. He was the architect of the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act of 2017. Mr. Chairman, the floor is yours. Great. Thank you, Eric. Um, thank you. So, so first, Jim, thank you for uh, hosting this again. Uh, amazing program. But I also want to thank you especially for uh, Boston here recently where Rippin honored with the Roosevelt Award our dear friend Don Carlson. What a great night. Ambassador, thanks for your, uh, look, you're such a stateswoman, uh, devote your whole life to developing strong relationships. Coming from Texas, Mexico isn't just a trading partner, they're our neighbor. And we are, we are so proud of that relationship and that has only deepened it and we expect it to do more. Uh, Scotty, thank you for your leadership for the Canadian uh, Business Council as well. I think uh, this is crucial tying our two countries together 
thank you for your leadership in helping us shepherd and make that case here as well. And to my dear friend and former roommate, Eric Paulson, who's been such a leader uh, on trade, just made a remarkable difference uh, on the Ways and Means Committee in, in trade throughout uh, the country. Uh, and I'll tell you, there's no press here, right, Jim? No, that is correct. He is a much... I really can so spill a fight. That's, that is such a bad visual right there. So bad. I'm not going to unsee that. He is a much better roommate than Steve Scalise. Let me just say that. He's, he's blushing right now. Yeah. So, such a good roommate. I had a barbecue last night and I brought home some leftovers and, and he ate them. That's a good roommate right there. That's a good roommate. Good barbecue. So, um, look, uh, the reason I'm so involved with free trade, I, I do think this is the greatest freedom we have to buy and sell and compete anywhere in the world with as little government interference as possible. And, and that freedom is the heart of our free enterprise system, but it has the ability to, to not lift just families and communities, but whole countries out of poverty. It does. You know, the last 20 years, because of trade, we've lifted more than a billion people out of poverty around the world. Trade is a part of our economy in the world has doubled, and we're seeing NAFTA has has had similarly successful results uh, here in the U.S., Canada, and Mexico. It's quadruple trade between the three countries. All of our consumers have greater choices of more affordable products. Uh, we're all able to sell more of what we made, including made in America products. Energy has become more affordable and available to all of us. And when you put the strengths. Mexico and Canada, the U.S. together, you know, our businesses can, because of that, compete and win anywhere in the world against anyone in the world. So NAFTA has been remarkably successful, but it did need to be modernized. It's been 27 years since President George H.W. Bush, almost this month, this October, initialed the agreement in San Antonio, and he said this is the, this is the partnership between three strong countries. And as I walked through recently sort of where President Bush hoped this agreement would go, it's remarkable how much has been achieved. But it did need to be modernized. President Trump was right. It was time to bring it into the 21st century. And there are a host of improvements in this agreement that make it right in right for passage. To, to build real quickly on what the ambassador said, these labor provisions, we have never seen them in a trade agreement ever before, and I've worked on a lot of them. Uh, they are transformative uh, in Mexico. We, Henry Cuellar and I, congressman from Texas, and I were down in Mexico during August, met with a number of the leaders down there. It really, I wish you could have all could have been with us because it was stunning. The, the commitment to, to labor in true unions established in Mexico is amazing. I mean, who would have thought, both because of the encouragement of USMCA, in the, in the new administration, you know, seeing true unions, real unions being created with the, with a personal and secret ballot, with the ability to collectively bargain, the right to strike, protections against violence uh, of, of union workers, it is, it is game changing. And it was, I wish, I, I sat at a table like this where the uh, Secretary uh, uh, of the Foreign Affairs, Secretary Abrardic, um, passionately told me for 15 minutes about how America, or Mexico's economic future doesn't lie in low wages. It lies in competitiveness and productivity. 
the low wages they tried that it isn't working and so for us to be able to embrace those types of reforms through passage USMCA is so crucial uh, so it is again I think one of the strengths of this agreement in a major way we see that commitment of Mexico to these reforms not just because of the agreement but because they see a different future for Mexico one where jobs can compete with with the drug trade where there are higher paying wages there is a more secure economy that's all good for us I think we're making real progress uh, we built a lot of momentum coming out of August a lot of work was done back home agriculture manufacturing technology small business all reached out to members of Congress and I think we came back even stronger than when we left I think speaker Pelosi and the working group groups are working in good faith sort of do the final fine-tuning here I think they're uh, very constructive discussions making progress you know I think Chairman Neal and Speaker Pelosi have have made it clear there is a path to yes they're working to get there and so we're all working to be constructive to get see that uh, accomplished again um, this is an opportunity for us Mexico has ratified Canada we will hear is ready to go so it's really up to us and final point every day we delay puts us at a disadvantage you know the inability to take advantage of this new agreement to sell more goods and services to be able to compete against the China's of the world has a big impact on all three of our countries so it really is important I'll, I'll finish with how you finished it really is time to ratify this uh, agreement sooner rather than later and I'm hopeful we can thank you Thank you, Mr. Chairman. I'm still trying to get that image out of my mind as well. <laughs> um, our final panelist we'll hear from is Scotty Greenwood, who serves as the CEO of the Canadian American Business Council. And Scotty brings decades of expertise in the U.S. and Canada relations here for our discussion. She served as the Chief of Staff to the U.S. Ambassador to Canada, Gordon Griffin, during the Clinton administration and is now Partner and Managing Director of Crestview Strategies U.S. Practice. She has been named one of the top 100 people influencing Canadian foreign policy by the Hill Times uh, and has appeared before the Canadian House of Commons Standing Committee on Foreign Affairs and International Development. Scotty, we look forward to hearing your perspective as well from my neighbor to the north of Minnesota, Canada. Thank you so much, Congressman. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you, Jim. Uh, this is terrific. This is my first time here. Uh, a number of members of the Canadian American Business Council are here. Kathleen with Coca-Cola, Ryan with Amgen, Marcel with UPS, uh, maybe some others that I've missed, but uh, this is terrific, and it's great to be with, with both of you. Uh, Ambassador Barsena is maybe the hardest working diplomat in Washington, for sure. Uh, what, a, what a job you have. First woman in the role. Uh, and uh, congratulations to you because it's uh, it's not easy, and uh, you're you're crushing it. So um, <laughs> you are. Well, you know, Jim talked about President Reagan, and he really uh, he really had a very special friendship uh, with the Prime Minister of Canada at the time, Brian Mulroney. And and if you've ever been to the Reagan Library, um, and if you've ever had the privilege of actually going into the the quarters uh, that where where uh, President Mrs. Reagan lived. You will see uh, they they have family pictures there, and uh, you know you've got President uh, President Reagan on a horse and you know different pictures, but there there's not just one picture uh, with the Mulroneys, but but several, and 
both of these two guys really thought about, at the time, how Canada and the United States uh, could cooperate better together. And it really, uh, when you think about uh, the North American Free Trade Agreement, started with the Canada-US Free Trade, actually started in 1965 with the Canada-US Auto Pact, and, and before that in the 40s with free trade in tractors. Um, uh, the NAFTA brought Mexico into the equation, and uh, and and to get that done, uh, it it wasn't uh, partisan. Actually, I mean, it, you know, you had Republican and Democratic presidents and members of Congress, all of whom over time worked to get this across the goal line. And uh, at, and as Ambassador Barsana said, the same is true in Mexico. And we don't know what will happen in the Canadian elections. Um, but but if, uh, if if there is a change in government on October twenty first, um, you I would anticipate that the a conservative government would also uh, carry forward uh, with ratification of the USMCA. So um, you know it really isn't. Uh, it is so important for the economy, as as the chairman said. It is so important for our way of life and our livelihood, um, that I think the, uh, the importance of it, this, this, the substance of it, the impact on, on, uh, on our economy, workers, businesses, labor, farmers, ranchers, you name it, I think that will win the day and will overwhelm whatever potential political differences um, that arise from time to time. In Canada in the 1980s, and, and I say this, um, with a little trepidation because we're sitting here with some great Canadians over there at table seven, but but so so they can correct me later. But in Canada, you know, the debate over whether or not free trade is a good idea uh, happened in the 1980s, and there, you know, in the campaign of uh, Jean Chrétien, who became prime minister, um, some of you will remember there was a there was a TV ad, and it said, you know, essentially like if we pass this this deal. Uh, the border with the United States will be erased. And, and the image was a big pencil eraser. Uh, I don't know if, if the Canadians in the room remember that. And, uh, and the, nevertheless, so it was negative, right? Because Canada didn't want the border to be erased with the United States. And, uh, and nevertheless, uh, Jean Chrétien, who was against free trade, won. The border was not erased. Um, and <clears throat> our organization, uh, on the occasion of Canada's 150th birthday in 2017 hosted a series of chats uh, between presidents and prime ministers um, at presidential libraries, actually. So we had um, Prime Minister Harper, President Bush uh, in Texas. We had Prime Minister uh, Joe Clark and Jimmy Carter uh, in Atlanta. And then we had Jean Chrétien and Bill Clinton uh, in, in another chat. And, and Chrétien, you know, is, is a really funny, interesting guy, really smart politician and leader. And he said, I was wrong. Uh, to be against free trade, and and my point here is that in Canada, in Canada now, the debate about whether or not trade is a good thing is over. Uh, it is not a debate. Everybody, uh, regardless of almost everybody, regardless of your political party, thinks that uh, there should be uh, that that it's important for Canada to trade. And in fact, I think Canada might be the only G7 country that has uh, a trade agreement with all the other G7 countries. So. Um, Canada really understands that it's important for trade, and I'm hoping uh, that in the United States we are close to a time where the debate about whether or not it's important to have a North American agreement is also beyond politics. That the substance, the benefits of working together will really overwhelm whatever uh, disagreements there might be. 
you know, the NAFTA wasn't a perfect agreement, but I agree, Mr. Chairman, it was really good for all three countries. Um, it needed to be improved. The new agreement also isn't perfect, but it is an improvement. It modernizes in some very significant ways, not, not only the labor agreements and the environmental provisions, which for the first time are in a trade agreement, not a side letter, but also uh, the enhancements for small business, for the digital economy. There, there are a number of meaningful protections uh, for uh, the economy. So, so I, I think that, um, and I hope that, that, that it will become fairly nonpartisan, um, believe it or not, and that you know, Democrats in particular uh, in Congress will be able to see their way to vote for it because it's the right thing to do um, uh, for their own constituents, um, notwithstanding that it might have been negotiated by uh, an administration they disagree with. So the other, I'll just conclude with this, um, Congressman Paulson, that if we can't get a deal done in this neighborhood with these partners, what, what exactly can we get done from a trade policy point of view? Right? We're looking at engaging in a globally interconnected world. Our American uh, businesses, farmers, workers need to be able to engage with their global supply chains and their global customers. And honest to goodness, if we can't get this deal done, how in the world do we expect to do a deal uh, with anyone else uh, in the world, really? So I think it's enormously important for credibility for the United States. I also think it's doable. Um, I think it's doable this year. Um, may, maybe I'm too much of an optimist, but, but I think it can happen. And, and, and I think that, uh, that Canada, will, you know, Canada has said, Prime Minister Trudeau has said, he will, uh, will have synchronicity uh, with the US Congress, with the House, um, in terms of passing this. So the, the moment it passes here, or the moment it's moving forward, I think you will see Canada um, also move forward. But I also think that that is irrespective of the current Canadian election. I, I think it can get done, uh, and I hope it'll get done, and goodness knows it's really important um, for all of us for the predictability that you mentioned, um, but also so that we can move forward with uh, business planning, with investing, um, with hiring new people, all of those sorts of things. So uh, from our point of view, it's, it's, uh, it, it's, it's the top priority, and, and, we, and we hope it gets passed this year. Thank you, Scotty. We'll transition into the Q&A portion right now. Um, but first, let me just ask this before we go to the audience questions, because uh, each of you touched on this. Uh, Scotty, you just mentioned that Canada's going to move in tandem with the United States, hopefully, on approval. Um, Ambassador, you mentioned the importance that Mexico is placing now on the commitment to the labor reforms in particular. But you know, as you look back, quarter century ago with NAFTA happening, with a huge market of 360 million people, $6 trillion market. Um, what's so important about moving forward with the new USMCA? Hit, hit some of the highlights of what really is different in the new agreement versus sticking with the old. You know, the world has moved on, but what, what are a couple of the, the highlights real quick? Um, it's what Scotty said. Labor and environment are not any more side letters, but are an integral part of the agreement. So that means that they are more enforceable than they were with the side letters. And they will be enforced to, uh, to we need to have a very agile dispute settlement mechanism. And if we have that dispute settlement mechanism, that I know that we are working on it, 
and that we are open to it, then we will have the means to guarantee the enforceability of environmental and labor provisions. And the, uh, uh, and the inclusion in the agreement of areas that were not included in NAFTA, which is basically gender, consultations to indigenous population, small and medium enterprises, e-commerce, which is fundamental. So I think in, in that sense, we can consider USMCA a very modern agreement. And that makes uh, a huge uh, differences. And also protection on, um, against corrupt practices and also increasing trade in services, which is becoming more and more, as our economies get more sophisticated, uh, an important aspect. So I would say it is a much more modern agreement than NAFTA, and that uh, we will be, it would be really foolish not to approve it and to continue to work with a very old legal framework. Other thoughts? Well, the, if, if you live in Wisconsin and you're a dairy farmer, if you live in upstate New York and you're a dairy farmer, there is uh, increased access to a protected Canadian dairy market. Uh, it's not, Canada didn't, get a, didn't do away with their, uh, what they call supply-managed system of dairy, but they did um, open it somewhat while also providing um, protection to their own dairy farmers. So that was a fairly large uh, concession. It's something that was really important. Um, it, to uh, to farmers in Wisconsin, to uh, Mr. Schumer in New York, and, uh, and 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 it was tricky for Canada, and they managed to navigate it in a way that um, it, you know liberalized uh, somewhat the dairy market. So that's another uh, improvement. And then and then the other big part of this is a huge part of of this twenty five trillion dollar uh, marketplace, four hundred seventy million people. A big part of it is the auto trade. Um, and so y you see in these agreements um, that a big problem is if you if you have tariffs on steel and aluminum, if you have um, if you slow down that integrated auto trade market, and so uh, the the protections for Canada and Mexico in autos um, is quite significant and meaningful uh, in and of themselves. Anything, Mr. Chairman, to add? No, just I, I think in short, this new agreement reflects the economy of today rather than 25 century, 25 years ago. And we pay a lot of attention to digital trade because that's just so obviously need to be updated. But services is a big part of our trade. It's growing 60% faster. Think, so don't think cargo, think accounting. But don't think uh, computer chips, think insurance. You know, this is a big part of what we export. So this really is a very modern chapter there. Lots in the energy and telecom reforms. It makes it easier to move our goods and services across the border cheaper and faster, and then creates more of a fair regulatory climate because the, the trade barriers of the 21st century aren't necessarily at the border, they're, they're inside the borders. And oftentimes we can find situations where regulatorily, it's a little like trying to put a, a US plug into a European socket. It doesn't match by design. Modern agreements allow those plugs to align, and the new NAFTA agreement aligns you know, Canada, U.S., and Mexico's regulatory approach, you know, in a really positive way. You know, you know one more thing, totally agree with that. Uh, one more thing that the agreement does that is meaningful, and it's particularly meaningful to uh, our trading partners, is uh, dispute resolution mechanisms. So, you know, would you allow your kid to play in a hockey tournament if there's no ref on the ice? Especially if your kid is a little smaller than... Um, the, the, the big guys, you, you know, you wouldn't. 
Um, that's right, Mexico, the big guys. Uh, you, you you wouldn't do that. You gotta have you gotta have a ref on the ice, um, and you you know that's true in in any sport, and it's true in trade agreements, and it is especially true um, with with partners that are that are smaller um, and who play by the rules. They want to make sure that uh, that everybody plays by the rules, and and that was quite a meaningful part. Um, and and everybody in here knows how tough Ambassador Lighthizer is, what a tough negotiator he is. And really credit to the, uh, to the Mexican and Canadian negotiators who stood toe to toe and insisted on, um, on having a ref on the ice. So that was, that's another major part of it. So well, Scotty, can I ask, did Eric Paulson force you to use a hockey analogy here because you know, you know, baseball he, 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 is the one we need to be doing here. You know, he is from Baja, Canada. Minnesota is known as. Right, Eric? Damn, Maybe, nice right? one. Touche. That one hurts. All right, we'll go to the audience for questions. Raise your hand. Raise your hand. And we could do this all day, eh? The microphone will come around. So I know we're going to have some questions from this for sure. So but one of the um, uh, frustrations, or one of, the, I guess, the, the um, more limited versions was in dispute settlement, yeah. um, and you talked about the ref on the ice. Um, so invest ISDS, it's a little bit like the ref maybe has one skate, he's not yeah. on two. So I guess my question is, still want the agreement to go through, what, what do you folks think are the trends on dispute settlement? Because it's just another element of enforcement, isn't it? You know, um, I would have liked to seen full comprehensive ICS. I think it's crucial that when companies make major investments, because if you want to sell into Canada, Mexico, and vice versa, uh, you want a level playing field. You want to make sure those investments are protected. and There is a, a fair way to have any conflicts and disputes resolved. Um, I, uh, I think the, 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 what was reached here uh, limits that those protections. I'd like to see it across the entire economic spectrum. I think we all know this was a uh, provision designed in, to be limited in order to uh, bring more Democrats and labor toward this agreement. Uh, it's been a long-standing, I think, wrong uh, uh, view on their part, but I think it was designed to do that. And so, yeah, we are continuing to urge the administration to, uh, to broaden that wherever possible. I do think in discussions here, you know, even state to state dispute, being able to make sure these panels aren't blocked, that there is a mechanism. If, an, if, if a trade agrees, like a contract, if you can't enforce it, you know, it doesn't have the value it needs. So we think it's important this be enforceable throughout the agreement. But yeah, that's an area that, that I would like to see broader than it is in the no question. I, I agree. And when we say the agreement's not perfect, that's a that's a, that's yeah. an example of something that could be better. Where I thought you were going, um, something we didn't mention is, uh, and something that the agreement actually didn't didn't uh, address adequately. So it's a it's a it's on the to do list uh, uh, for our three countries is uh, is labor mobility. You know you know we have to figure out a way to modernize. Uh, how professionals, professional services providers, others um, are able to travel back and forth uh, and, and 
do do their work. So that's that's an area uh, that's on the to do list. Uh, didn't get done, um, and that affects the services uh, providers in particular, but also uh, kind of, kind of affects every everybody in business. So that's. That's something that I hope the countries, once we can uh, get this in the rear view mirror uh, uh, or get into extra innings, maybe, I don't, I don't, I don't know. Okay, there you go. Uh, there you go. Uh, we, can, we can get it done. I, I totally agree with Scotty. I think we still need a to-do list. But I would tell you that uh, my president has said many times, the perfect is the enemy of the good. So we, we know that the uh, agreement is not perfect but it's good and it reflects the balance of the negotiations. Each country had to concede in something. To sit and say, oh, I conceded in this, but you gave me this now, it's, uh, there is no use to say that. So we have ratified, we ratified acknowledging that it was a good agreement, not the perfect one. We ratified it acknowledging that we would have liked other provisions. Of course, we would have liked labor mobility, I can tell you, I was in Wisconsin and people said to me, we need Mexican workers. The dairy farmers in Wisconsin cannot survive without Mexican workers. It's the same in Michigan. It's the same in Maryland for the crab industry, for the horse breeding. Uh, yes, everywhere I go and I sit with business and with authorities say, ambassador, we need workers. American Trucker Association, we need 60,000 drivers. We can train them in Mexico. I say. Don't tell me, we're ready for that. Tell your Congress, tell your president, we need a, a comprehensive immigration reform and more labor mobility. We're ready. So it is, but we have to go step by step. And the first step is the ratification of USMCA. Well, can, I, can I just add one last word when we're thinking about passing it in, in, in this town, passing this agreement? Um, and if you think it's hard, uh, it's, it's kind of hard, but. But put yourself in the shoes, uh, in, in in the pumps of the ambassador, or uh, in 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 in, in, in the cleats Please. of the Canadians. Um, the the rhetoric coming out of uh, coming out of the United States towards uh, Mexico and towards Canada um, was tough. Was more than tough, um, and yet it was like water off a duck's back. Like they just didn't listen, they didn't take the bait, they didn't listen to the rhetoric, they didn't allow it to derail the political process in Mexico or Canada. They just they just focused on, on what was happening. And so uh, it, it can be done, it can be done notwithstanding uh, tough rhetoric, um, fly balls, uh, foul tips, it can be done. Uh, and, uh, and, and we can certainly do it here, I'm trying. You really are, you're, you're awesome. So I think, too, one of the questions we got asked a lot last night and again walking in today is, so how does impeachment affect this? Um, and so I am worried, uh, having been here before during impeachment, it tends to poison everything. and it, it makes toxic environments even more toxic. So our challenge in people in this room will be to create sort of a protective detail around USMCA where we can continue the work with the Democrats here in the House try to do the final fine-tuning here, to try to find that path to yes in, in a timely vote uh, this fall. It, our job just got uh, harder here, but it's, it's doable. The policy is headed the right way. I'm convinced the will is there. We're gonna have to, to all of us, working with our lawmakers, Democrat and Republican, 
create a shield around this to keep it marching forward. We can do it. it just We're just going to have to work a little harder to get this done, but I'm optimistic we can. Well, with that, as we wrap up, thank you to our panelists for keeping this on the to-do list. Uh, <laughs>